Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to have Corey McDonald on the show with us. Uh, Corey, just really quick, can you give a a brief introduction of yourself and and what you've been working on to our audience? Yeah, it's so nice to be here. Thanks, Eric. And I'm so grateful to have this time together. I describe myself as a creative healer. And that's uh, basically I weaving together the training that I have as a studio art therapist with a transpersonal approach. So that's body, mind, spirit, but believing in some higher force, whatever we're going to call it. And then I also have a couple other modalities that are predominantly nonverbal. So energy healing, heart speaking. And in essence, I think it's best described as one workshop attendee said, Corey, it's like, it's like yoga with crayons. (laughs) (laughs) So it's basically showing you how everyone is ultimately creative so so often we pick up this story i did that there's someone else that's creative in the family or Mm. in the classroom or we have a teacher tell us oh my god you can't paint the sky pink usually there's some experience in our life where we shut down that playful childlike self but actually that's where true power resides so i love to Um, open people up to the power of play using childlike materials and then to leverage life's ultimate art material which is heavy hued stuff challenges yuck that we think are broken and discarded but like an upcycling artist who takes things that are like in the trash and can make something beautiful with them actually we can do the exact same things with our life Mm. so that's what I, I do in a nutshell Eric Right. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I was telling you before recording, like one of the things with this show, I deal with a lot of people who've survived, you know, traumas and things like that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, sitting in an office with someone can seem pretty intimidating, you know, uh, going to therapy, you know, in a traditional sense where someone's, you know, you're laying on a couch, someone's writing something in a notepad can be kind of a a traumatizing thought. Um, And so I'm really fascinated talking to people who do different forms of therapy, whether, you know, whether it's, you know, I mentioned like therapy where you go to like horse ranches and you work with horses, Mm -hmm. you've got, you know, art therapy, you've got all these different, all these different forms of really healing for people. And uh, I just think it's super fascinating. Um, So I want to go back before we dive into how you got started doing this as a form of therapy, Mm -hmm. when's kind of the first time you noticed that you had this kind of creative spark? Because I know everybody's Mm -hmm. got creativity as a kid. I mean, everyone, it, you know, pretends they play outside, they, you know, yeah. they, they make believe all the time, but, you know, I know there's definitely too some personalities that lean way into that direction that, you know, <laughs> probably like yourself or like myself, where you just, you've got that creative spark early on. What was that for you? Yeah. Oh, it's such a good question. I mean, and that's it. 
that there are some of us as children that really go out there and it tends to be because we're in family units where we're, we're needing to create other worlds. Mm. And I call it worlds within worlds. I grew up in a family with a, enough of a dis, level of dysfunction that literally propelled me outside. And I actually remember one of my favorite things to do was to literally create, I mean, being up in Northern or North, North-ish Canada, we had a lot of snow mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know why kids don't feel the cold. I didn't feel the cold. Yeah. I was so motivated as soon as I could get outside and I would dig under trees and create my own homes, you know, my right. own worlds. And that's really interesting to me because then like you just kind of dovetail, follow that over into my, university years I ended into art school and I guess what you, if you don't heal those things you just take them along with you yeah. and I remember my prop going look at you you tuck yourself way into the corner and you I was building with wood literally like hmm. forts <laughs> sculpting and building worlds and worlds and um but I I found that in that solitude though so with everything there's a a a light to it, even if it looks heavy, mm-hmm. if you flip it the other way, I was highly able to tap into this deep knowing inside of me that mm-hmm. would just know where to place things. Or I didn't have book smarts as an artist, but I remember Pops going, God, you just suddenly vanish. And then when you reappear, you've done these brilliant moves. And I'll think, I think, what have I done? Like, I just loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting to me that I think you're right. I, from a very young age, and I would just tuck into the closet sometimes because I knew I could draw on the walls there and not be mm. caught. <laughs> so yeah. I was already using art therapeutically to calm me in a very chaotic, chaotic household and to, to find little places of safety. Right. And I love what you spoke of. So true. Many. This is why I gravitated towards studio art therapy, the idea of it being very clinical and you're being watched and you know it's that doesn't work we need to feel safe and we need to feel that we're walking alongside with whoever's giving us the support that they've gone through it too and that they're able to to say listen I've been there I can feel what you're feeling and let's go you know that's a very different um that's a very different process and a very different journey Right. Yeah. It's something that kind of happens naturally. And like, I, you know, I was that way too. I mean, I had a, I would say I had a pretty, I mean, just really supportive parents when it came to, you know, like they were always making sure, you know, I had materials to draw and like, that's what I did. Like I, I, I was always drawing, um, that kind of transition. My, my friend, um, growing up that I, I spent every day at his house. So like we grew up pretty much like brothers, like we, we would get to use his, his dad, wasn't a videographer, but he always bought the new cameras. He was so interested in the technology of them. So we would always get the last camera that he had bought after he got a new one. So, so we were like six or seven and like our, our playing was making, you know, movies in his backyard with VHS cameras. Like, so that was our, that was our kind of play, you know, like reenacting, you know, Indiana Jones and all these different things. And Yeah. yeah. And so that carried over into, you know, into high school that carried in and yeah, it's, it's that same thing. It wasn't, it stopped being paint and, you know, markers for me. And it ended up being like, you know, going off and editing something or going off and, and shooting something. And so I definitely relate, relate with that. And even now to this day, um, you know, it's, I, I do that professionally now quite a bit and, um, and podcasting, you know, right? Like yeah, you're- and podcasting. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just a very, it is, it's a very therapeutic way to, kind of creatively engage with, with the problems, yeah. you know, um, especially with the podcast, the podcast, the, the conversations are so heavy so often and, and they're, they're incredibly, yeah. they can be incredibly taxing, but then also because I'm going at it from the angle that I feel comfortable in through a creative lens, it makes it a lot easier. Um, I, I told somebody, I said, if I heard the stories I hear on this show in a coffee shop, I'd be, I'd be weeping. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm so, I get so emotional in conversation, but yeah with this, it's like, this is kind of my safety net. You know, I've got my microphone, I've got my cords here. I'm like, I'm good to go. Let's do it. That's right. Oh, beautifully put Eric. I mean, that's back to that safe space. Like if we're feeling safe and you've cultivated that and and even just your sensing, okay, this would be someone that would be, that would be good to have conversation with this could, because you're then 
taking it, you're upcycling it. You're taking right. something that's just oh heavy, but because that conversation is coming from a, a place that's different than where it was formed already, right. and then you bring meaning to it and help to make meaning mm -hmm. of this stuff because. Yeah. You know that's a process too you know like right. some stuff you can flip pretty quick but some stuff takes years yeah, yeah. i love that phrasing to it uh, like bringing meaning to it because i think when you're obviously when you're a kid i mean your entire childhood you have to kind of understand in hindsight you experience yeah. it as a child and then you understand it as an adult um yeah. some i mean some people never get to a chance where they are able to dig deep enough to understand it i think they just that's kind of right. look back on it broadly but when was the first time that you kind of recognized, okay, I'm doing this and it's helping me in this way? Like, when's the time you started applying those labels of like, this is really therapeutic. Like, this is really, you know, healing for me. Cause I know for me, it took a long time. Like I knew I didn't feel good when I wasn't being creative, but I didn't know, like, I didn't, I never made the correlation until much, much later on. Oh my gosh. Isn't that true? Hindsight's so wonderful, but right. damn, it takes a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sure does. <laughs> but I, I was just thinking about that because I was reflecting on when I started to be able to do that, like reflecting, but mm -hmm. we're looking back and um, a big piece that helped me in my journey that I never would have predicted was that I, we got married young, James and I being in the church. And uh, then we just had this really strong knowing to go and to leave Canada. And not mm. just on the trip, we just, something in us was like, we want to go and live somewhere. And if I'm really honest now, at the time, I just was all for it. I just couldn't leave fast enough. I was literally, it's fight or flight, right? I was, right. Running, I was running from the things that I didn't want to look at or reflect upon yet. But that distance moving to Japan was so helpful because I started to see patterns that the stuff that I didn't deal with, like mm. back there, it just moves with, you just take yourself. <laughs> so Corey okay. just created the, anything that I had let an open gaping wound or even a little, little scratching itch with, it would kind of reform in, maybe it would be a Japanese neighbor mm. or it would be a boss or, a, you know, a, a, a friend who, you know, would suddenly be reminding me of, oh, this is a dynamic I have, have with my sister that I didn't mend, you know? So that was when I started to really look at things, but I didn't really look like I was very much in this stuff is happening to me. Like I wasn't taking any ownership of it. It right. was more, God, why does this stuff always happen to me? But yeah. even that, that's, I believe that whatever we're going to call this higher power force universe god you know um great spirit whatever life i call it life will say you know what you're gonna have to ride you're gonna have to four by four a little bit and i right. bumped for a while right and then you were talking about your your three-year-old then it was when we had the three kids in japan yeah that i started to really bottom out and things got hard then because mm. that's when it's like oh I'm doing the exact same things to them as I ran away from. You can't right. run away from it in your own kids, you know? So yeah. that's when I was like, I need support. Like I need, I need help. Right. And that was it. That was such a gift, you know, that, that painful, it's not, it doesn't feel good at the yeah. time, <laughs> but right. it was the best thing. Cause then everything could start to take a different trajectory for me. Right. Yeah. 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 Kids, kids change a lot of perspective and, um, you kind of, it kind of instantly makes you very aware of your weaknesses and your strengths at the same time. So, and, uh, and a lot of it too, like you see so much of your personality, even early on, like I see so much of myself in my daughter and I see so much of my wife in my daughter and, you know, sometimes yeah. that manifests in very good ways. And then sometimes you're like, oh no, that's exactly how I am. Or that's how <laughs> I deal with things. Um, but yeah, I, I know you, you alluded to kind of your church experience. Um, and I know, mm. I know it, it seems like you, you went to a couple different churches, but you dipped your toes into the Baptist world a little bit, which is something I didn't know when I booked this, I booked you just to talk <laughs> through amazing. more of what we're talking about, but, but it's just funny how there's a shared connection. So can you just talk a little bit about kind of your, um, 
experience within church and, and, you know, maybe what was helpful, what was unhelpful and, and what led you to kind of end up leaving? Oh, I love that question. And it's a, so I was just sharing with you that uh, I wrote a little chunk of that in, in my book. And now, now interesting, as I talk about propelling to Japan, it was really on the heels of that pain that I, I received in, and it was the, the last one I church shopped at was a Baptist church. And um, I think what happened is like, when I talk about my early childhood years, it was a lot of dysfunction, but the reason was because my parents grew up with immigrant parents. They didn't, they were in survival mode. They didn't have tools. So they, now as I've gotten older, I'm very close to my parents now, and they've done so much healing in themselves, which is amazing for their generation. And, um, but as I hear the stories of what they walked through, oh my gosh, no wonder they had no tools to raise four girls. <laughs> so anyhow, then when that happened, that, that, we started to grow up and my mom right away knew, oh my gosh, we need some sort of structure here because dad's out, he's, he's self-medicating with beer. That was the version, whatever he needed. And mom was like running this house and losing it. So she just went, okay, the, the best thing I can see what all the neighbors are doing, they're going to church. And that's when we started. So I think I was about 10. And so was old enough to, to kind of, I was, I was wanting some structure too, you know, but when I now know about energy is wherever you're at, wherever vibration you're at, because ultimately if you take us down to the smallest thing, we're just vibrating quarks. And so what did we do? We dovetailed right to interesting, a family of four daughters, mom. And, and at that time, dad's not coming. We went to a church that literally took the verse, women cover your heads and be silent, literally. And so we're there we were. So it was already church was a confusing sort of place. Yet there were beautiful things that were lacking, things like the feeling of a family or going to summer camp where you could have just good fun and sing songs and all those things that that were missing in our in our home, you know. So all of that happened. And then as we got older, we all went on our own journeys figuring out what is religion, what is spirituality, what sits right with us, what doesn't. And I, as I was on mine, I was coming into, um, yeah, it was during the university years. I just always knew that there was something way more beyond this. I just knew I could feel like life pulsing in me. And maybe it's that creative flow. When you're in that flow, you're, you're not doing it. There's something creating all these things that come out of you. And, uh, so I had that knowing and I remember going to a church and it happened to be a Baptist church and I was so excited because also falling in love at that time and my husband now he was at that church and he said Cor you would love the worship because the singing and they feel when they sing and he knew that's important to me so we get get going and right away both of us had a passion to work with I love to work with kids who were like awkward 15, 14, because I remember being so awkward then and I had a heart for that. And so we we volunteered. He was already volunteering and I volunteered, but I had right away, again, this intuitive knowing that something was off. And back to safe space, as I started to work there, the young girls started to come near me a lot and started to tell me, that they didn't feel safe with the pastor who was overseeing. And that was really challenging, Eric, because I was 21 and I was, though I had church shop, there was a common thing that was really um, fed to me and to all of us was that this person in authority is an authority, you know? And back to that nervousness of going into an office, <laughs> that was definitely, and being raised in a family where my father was a really aggressive authority um, at that, in, in my formative years. So that was a, so definitely a soul lesson for me. I had, it got to the point where I had to confront him. Sorry. So yeah. as far as the um, people coming to you feeling uncomfortable, was it something yeah. where there was a abuse actually happening at the church or was it just a general sense of like, we don't feel like we've got any kind of power here. Like we're kind of yeah. defenseless it, in this environment. That's a great question. And it was the beginnings of uh, 
inappropriate connect first asking girls to come out and meet him and outside of the church and just right away it was red flags you know and it was just the beginnings of it because he was new and and uh but right away I something rose in me like a protective mama <laughs> and I just I just rose and that was interesting to me because I I didn't see that strength in me before and I just started asking people questions but it, it, I learned quickly that so many of us, maybe because I came in a little bit late to it, I was stunned how many people just gave away their power outwardly. Mm. And even mothers who said, yeah, Corey, we get a bad vibe too. And, you know, our daughters mentioned something, but, and I'd say, okay, let's, so, approach, let's do you know? something. Yeah. What let's is- do something. So it was challenging and it, it ended really badly because I, mm. I did, I took, I took time and, and I faced him. And what he did, of course, was just to gaslight me mm. and uh, ended up kind of kind of being everyone turned their back and I was out of the church suddenly. Mm. And I thought, wow, like, what was that? But over in Japan, I really unpacked it. And I, I could definitely, that was one of the first things I had to leverage, something really heavy for the light. And I saw, I threw everything out like the whole thing, even, even the idea of this higher power out for a while. And I lived for a while in a really dark place. Mm. And it took me like to a low that I never hit before. And then I realized after that, I actually got, got stuck in an, in that earthquake in Japan. Mm. And it was in that darkness underneath the ground that I felt that force again in me. I, I was should have been terrified. Everything was shaking and dark. And I felt absolute love inside of me. And I thought, that's it. So there is a difference here. There is something bigger than all this. Mm. And that is whatever you're going to, for me, I call it a spiritual knowing. And that's a very different thing than an organized religious knowing. And I'm not to say that all organized religion is off because there's some beautiful things up there. But for my personal journey, I saw that it it took away from that inner knowing to outsource everything, to give one power or a handful of people power and say they can do anything (laughs) because we can't. We have to all listen to that guidance within and do the thing that we are here to do. And that never brings us into discord. That never brings us into hurting one another. And that mm. much I knew. So from that really awful journey came this fierce knowing that when I sit with someone, I, I don't care if they're in the, the most rage place. I've been there. And it's okay because I know that when you hit someplace like that, when you turn that over, you have such a height that you're going. But when you can really connect with those and feel and have deep empathy and compassion when you've walked that road and heal from it. So, no. yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting. So like we talked earlier about like suppressing the creative side, you know, and a lot of, a lot of people when they, as they get older, you know, it's that, uh, I mean, that's what Peter Pan's about, you know, right. You submit, you uh, yeah. suppress that creative side, but, um, but also too, I think a lot of people are on the flip side of that. And, and I resonate with your story of, you know, I think sometimes you as a creative can be on you know, the awkward girl with the, you know, that's coloring in the corner or I'm the, yeah. the guy, like for me, I was the, you know, I joke with people sometimes like I went to a private Christian school, like, you know, 40 kids in high school. And I'm like, yeah. I was the nerdy kid out of the nerdy kids. Like I was like yeah. the, the next the level nerd. down. Right. And, um, you know, and so uh, you know, but for what I resonate with is like, while a lot of people suppress the creative side, I was full blown into the creative side, but I suppressed, you know, I never thought of myself as being, and I'm, I'm still not, I still don't think this is who I am. I'm not confrontational. Um, you know, I'm very much yeah. a people pleaser. I'm very much, you know, quiet. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't, uh, my, my wife always says conflict. like, yeah, my wife says like, you're too nice. Like, you know, don't let someone run you over. And, um, and it's true. Like I've been in a lot of situations where that's happened, but what's amazing is I think that sometimes creatives tend to suppress that engagement, like public side and, and, and uh, 
you know, for me, it was the same thing. The first time I ever got vocal and, and, you know, I guess aggressive about anything was yeah. in a similar situation. It was, uh, it was someone had come to our church who at his previous church had been, he was 30, 15 year old babysitter. I mean, it was, it was a bad situation. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden there's this voice that was never there. Like I was never, um, like I, I talked to my dad about, it. I'm like, we never went through that stage where as a teenager, I was like, you know, I hate you. I'm going to my room and slam the door. Yeah. Like it never happened, but it, it was in those moments I became extremely like vocal and, and I started really sharing that side of me. And that, yeah. that's something that's strange, like sitting here doing this podcast, like I never would have thought that I would be in a situation where I'd be speaking out on something. Yeah. Like it was always internalizing it. And then I create something that kind of, you know, yeah. It just made me feel better. Like I'll go shoot this pretty sunset or I'll go shoot someone, you yeah. know, doing this. But now it's like, it, it's, it's kind of motivated me seeing something happen that shouldn't be happening, mm. kind of pushed me out into that, in, into that kind of direction. And that's really, it's just really interesting what we are capable of if pushed in the right direction. And isn't it true? I love what you say, Eric. And yet you see all those beautiful building blocks that mm -hmm. you trust your creativity, you trust right. your expression. I, I call it the creative intelligence within us. Suddenly yeah. you trust that, right? Like you suddenly have this knowing that is mm. with a capital N and you're like, no, I have, I can say this. And it just flows out. And now yeah. look at it's in words now, but I think it's like learning a language. I noticed whenever mm -hmm. we go to a country and I have to learn the language like Japanese or something, I start with listening to it on the TV or just really noticing when I'm in a taxi and trying to pick things that I've seen in a book. But it takes like a good year before I'm like actually having it flow out of me. Yeah. And then once it starts, it's, it builds quickly. Yeah. And I think it's kind of what we were saying is like we, we being, yeah, when your creative intelligence is going, it's like extra feelers. So I think mm -hmm. that's why we're sensitive to these. Interestingly, that was the situation with this guy. <laughs> and my cousin who's a court reporter like I had long forgot him. And this is a few years later in, in Japan. She said, oh, Corey, I was in court today. And apparently he was causing trouble with the babysitter, but they've got him locked up. I said, oh, when you mentioned that, I thought, isn't this funny, these patterning? But see, our, our knowing knew that being, something's off. Like yeah. right away, I just could feel it, you know? And yeah. you knew, and there was, and you're, we weren't people who would, usually express, but I think mm -hmm. it's also building that in us because yeah. we, we do now, we do yeah. speak up now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you mentioned creative intelligence. It, it's something it, it's, it's different for the same thing, but I, 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 over the last year, you know, I've talked a lot because um, I, I work with a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and, you know, okay, uh, in no. my, in my own business and things, that's what I do. I work, I work with people in business advertising um, and, and things like that. And so you know, one thing I always talk about with people is like, you have your IQ, but then you have your EQ. So you've got your emotional intelligence yeah. and so many people shut that side off. I feel like, and I think creatives, it comes easier because we're always thinking emotionally. Like that's how I, the way that I process is not spreadsheets. Like I don't, that that's a, that's a no for me. Um, but when I, when it comes to addressing situations, it's very much emotional. And that's, I think what we get programmed by society to think is that emotionally processing situations is a weaker form of processing. Like, I think we, oh we gosh, tend to yeah. say that, you know, if you put things in boxes and can sit there and lay it out and then deal with it. But a lot of times what I notice is it, people who have the intel and both are needed, like people who focus yeah. more on the IQ, you know, yeah. they sit and they structure and organize. That's phenomenal. Like that helps them to identify certain patterns and things like that. But also too, they, I think we shouldn't discount people who have the emotional intelligence because I can sit in a room, you know, and I, I've said this for a long time. My wife actually, like, she thinks it's funny because I've called a lot of things with, I'll meet somebody and I'll talk to them. And, and within five minutes I have in my mind, like, I know exactly how they are and who they are. And, and, you know, there's been things where like, there's literally situations where I've said, like, I know that we can't trust this person. Like, I just know. And, wow. you know, three, four months later, it's like, wow, it's like huge. that was, it was huge. But, and again, sometimes you can get into trouble. If you leave either of those unchecked, you can get yourself into trouble. But I think, I think you have to be able to be in tune with like, what's my gut telling me? What's the perception of the situation? Um, and I think that's huge 
even like I said, doing these conversations or doing therapy, you have to be able to pick up on those little signs that people give off that tell you where to take this conversation or this relationship uh, moving forward. Oh my gosh. It's so important what you're speaking of because, oh, and it's something I, I think the only time that I'm doing anyone justice, like whether we're chatting in this conversation or I, right. I'm doing a workshop or and I'm right, actually, I, I really, I wrote a whole chunk of this in the book because I, the, the person who, who helped me to understand it really beautifully with, um, with words is when I learned heart speaking, which is taking mm. stuff that feels stuck in her heart. It was a body worker. She was a, a not a physiotherapist, Dr. Ann Jensen. She's a chiropractor. And when she was practicing, now she's neuroscience and she's doing all sorts of things and talking about this very thing, because so many people would be, she'd be working on their bodies right. and they'd be chatting out of their thinking mind. So she called it, this is the thinking mind, that beta mind that's just going and humming. And you're right. It's logical. It tells time. It remembers right. dates. You can order things. And it's what predominantly the whole bloody world is operating in all the time. Right. It's the very thing that gets jacked up and hijacks us like, for me, if I get my grocery list going and my other list, my lists, like I'm a list, like, right. but it is useful and there's a time and place for it. But she said, it was really noticing that when she was working on these people, she, like us, could feel stuff very much from her. She calls it the feeling mind, which is mm. in your center and it is in your whole beingness. <laughs> so it, it's the one that is messy. It's chaotic. It's childlike. It's imaginal but it's not predictable. So it's like seen as childish, but that's a very different thing between mm. childish and childlike, right? And we're, we're talking about not childish having a tantrum, it's childlike having curiosity and wonder, like what if, yeah. or why don't we try this? So she would really see that, oh my gosh, when there's such a disconnect, they've literally, and that tends to be trauma, right? We don't wanna be, yeah. In trauma the body holds a score and we don't we don't we just shut down so this is overworked and so she yeah i really love what you're speaking to and i i i really believe that every time that for james and i too every time we followed an intuitive hit and said mm -hmm. you don't know why we're gonna move to dubai i never thought mm -hmm. i'd live in dubai <laughs> And we got to go and we yeah. go and then something opens up where there's right. you know, like you said, that looking back, that reflecting, you know, when we look back, we can see, oh, wow, we had to go for X, Y, and Z. But just that beautiful poet MC Richard says, not knowing and trusting simultaneously. Right. That is the heart, right? And we can do such amazing things and avoid pitfalls like you did when you're like, no, 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 don't trust that guy. Yeah. that's big that's wisdom to me that's real wisdom and heart math i love working with heart math and mm -hmm. they they've measured the magnetical field of our thinking mind and of our feeling mind and this one is five thousand times five thousand times mm -hmm. stronger field than this so can you imagine when you sync these up and have full coherence then you're humming you know you can right. get all that stuff you know, organized with this knowing of what to attend to and what to leave and who to dovetail with and who not to. And it just works out so smooth that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so obviously, you know, personally feeling this is one thing, you know, kind of, I guess you could say teaching it or, or showing someone is another thing. And so I'd love to dive into when, when did you start feeling like, okay, I feel like this is really helping me. I want to start helping other people through this journey. Um, what kind of sparked that? Like, where you're like, I want to start showing the power of this to other people. Oh, I love this. So where was that first thread? Well, so my, okay, my feeling mind took me right back to Japan. Mm -hmm. And it was after I got out of that earthquake tunnel situation, I did. I felt that force. And I said, I guess it's a prayer. I started to pray again, or I promise that I said, if I get out of this and find the kids and James and I will go. And I just had this said, I will go and take art to the survivors. I'll do art therapy with the survivors. I wasn't trained. I had just in art school. I just noticed Eric that like, I didn't give a rip to talk about 
like if this has got a good like you know tension with that I could talk that way to appease my props but you know the only thing I would do is when I'd see someone throw up a body work oh my my whole sensing would just be like wow I'd say like Zoe I can totally see you're coming up out of your anger with your through your divorce like I could just see stuff you know in the art and I my prof was like oh my gosh Corey you've got to go study art therapy but Mm. I just kind of put it aside for okay maybe one day but then bit by bit Eric I would take little steps like I do my psych masters or I do you know I take a course here and there but we kept moving or having babies and I just thought one day and then when I got out of that train and I started running home I remember every step of the way I started to literally see me loading up the truck Hmm. and maybe coming from like U.S. Canada big land mass I kept for me like five hours up the road six hours up the road because we were in Yokohama it was worse up north but I thought that for me that's just up the road like we drive that far to go skiing (laughs) so you know I just I had to go help and that's when I went didn't even speak barely spoke Japanese at the time didn't have official training all I knew is intuitively take a tarp take water and wipes <laughs> because I knew they had nothing to I know Japanese law all my Japanese friends said oh, oh my god how about there's no cleaning like they're very clean and there's no there's nothing so I took basic necessities with the this this group that I went with and and then I took supplies art supplies mm-hmm. very simple and it, it just by chance people were donating things from preschool mm-hmm. which in the end is still what I use because that's safe yeah. if you're bringing up you know simple crayons and and origami paper and and all of a sudden I saw, wow, these, this is all they, they need right now because mm. they are loaded with tra- like traumatic stories. They're loaded with heaviness and there's nowhere to put all that. And right. so it was beautiful just to, just to give that as an offering really, because I, I could hold stories. I could listen with some, there was, you know, the, between my bat, poor Japanese and the, the broken English, some spoke beautiful English, but it was the, that after that I knew the power of art because mm. not only could they tell me what happened and show me more than words, move that energy out. It's a very physical thing. When you're running around with your video camera or when mm. you're folding origami, it's your body is moving energy and emotion. Emotion is energy and motion. Right. So all they got to do is put it out and yeah and then also what was so gorgeous and I never even thought about it till we left and when and when I came back I went up a few times is seeing this beat up old gymnasium that had been cleaned out we dug out mud and and tried to make a home as a shelter to see it start to fill with colors like origami creatures and and pictures of hope you know and and to start seeing that build. So you build things too, right? With the thing, things start to transform in the space around. So that taught me, wow, this is the power of nonverbal therapy. Hmm. You know, that we, this stuff, when stuff is so heavy, you don't have words and, and it's not, you just have to move it and you have to move. And so I really was drawn to that and that, for me personally, working through my depressions and my anxiety and my pain of my past, it it worked so powerful for me too. So I only share what works for me. I still right. use stuff <laughs> at right. least on a weekly basis because stuff happens, you know, yeah. got to process it. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it, it raises a question. So people are obviously looking for, you know, alternative forms of therapy that that was you know one of the main reasons i wanted to bring you on is just to open people's minds to the opportunity you know opportunity to do something as opposed to you know what we think of which is just sitting in a room and and talking through it analytically and and um but first for people who are listening who are like yeah that sounds great but i'm not creative or or i don't have or maybe even deeper they say you know i don't have the skills to you know i can't draw a stick figure you know they're sitting there going like i don't i don't just i just am not good at it um would it still be helpful for someone like that to to try it out to try to 
to work through it, even if they don't have kind of the, the know-how of how to, you know, paint or how to, yeah, you know, or even draw. in some way, right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's the biggest, I would think that's, that I'll, that's the biggest barrier to mm. trying this for everybody, you know, because uh, it's back to that idea that what is art. So with art therapy, it's back, back to when I said it's emotion, we're just moving mm. stuff out of us. So it's energy in motion. And so think of, and, and even thinking of the preschool art supplies, I, I do say to people, just, I'm going to use a magic wand, take an old pencil. And I said, this is a magic wand. And right. you are now, look, you're a little kid in preschool. Yeah. This is the sort of art we're doing, you know, and it's really just mark making and mm. doodling. And, and then, you know, what's interesting though, is you can take anything and put it out on a paper, you know, mm -hmm. for example, Oh, why don't I show you? I always have, I literally have crayons, right? I love it. I'm almost 50, but I've always got my crayons. So like, for example, let's say you came to me and said, Corey, honestly, I've had this crazy like pain in my neck for so the past five weeks. And I feel like there's something under there. I might just say, okay, let's feel it. Let's show it. So the first thing we do is close our eyes and we go with the pain because the pain is full of information. So I, when, with a transpersonal approach, we use things like closing our eyes, going into our body or mm. meditation or breathing techniques. So we're really centering in and getting to that feeling mind mm. out of this one. <laughs> and then you might pick up, and then I, what I say is be like a kid in a candy store. So here's all my colors. Mm. It looks like candies, right? When you're a kid in a candy store and grandpa says, I'll take you, don't tell your mother. You don't analyze which one you're going to take you just pick up and go okay I'll grab this one so I grabbed orange maybe the paint is sharp you know like it might come out sharp or maybe it's something like this sometimes people will say oh, I don't know it's just feel I feel really oh I don't know what's bugging me and I'll say show me and I had a woman just go like this hmm. like a gray haze you know what I mean sometimes people are they're just run up their feet they're like all of a sudden the paper is like it's all over the place. The hand will start to go. And, and then when you're bored, you just drop it and you're going to grab another. And then you get in a flow and all of a sudden you have all this data here. Mm. And then what do we do with that? We don't get into talking about it. There is some art therapy where you can go straight to analytical, but no, we stay in play and we just look at it. We meet it outside of ourselves. It's like us, the highest creative intelligence right here, looking like disguised as preschool art. <laughs> and then we can say, hey, where is my eye really pulled to? All oh, my eyes there. Okay, just like on our phone, we zoom in <laughs> on a picture. I'll, let's go in our imagination. I wonder if we imagine zooming into that gray, what would be there? Imagine them to another paper and we can go in worlds within worlds and we can find information and then as people are creating or sometimes it happens in in the conversation after we we feel into a, a guide to how to feel into the painting um, or drawing information always comes and sometimes it comes like in a dream that night or you're walking down the street and you're just oh my god that's what this is about you know we're stirring up a pot that seems scary and it is when you don't have the tools and you don't have um warm circle of support to guide you into that pot but when you have someone who who's not afraid and can show you you don't have to be afraid there's a wealth of information in there that's how we go in and the body is so wise and the creative intelligence joins up and that syncs up with that thinking mind takes the back seat because this stuff starts to inform what is it going on and what needs, what do you need really well for yourself now? And that's how we go bit by bit by bit. Does that give you a little sense of how it works, Eric? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And it's, it speaks to the fact that I think sometimes the scariest stuff is the stuff we don't know how to identify. So like you mentioned, you know, you, you can be thinking, Oh, I feel this, this haze, or I feel this, this yeah. sharp pain, or, you know, when I think about this, mm -hmm. but until you can identify it, you can't address it. And so there's, there's so much where you, you know, I, and I've had those moments just this year, like through the show, like, and, and I've, mm -hmm. I've, I feel, uh, 
I feel guilty because sometimes I, I bring on people and I'm like, man, I feel like this was for me. You know, I brought on, um, so I brought on a trauma therapist and, you know, afterward I, I talked for about 20 minutes or so, probably an hour, honestly, I probably kept her for way too long, but, uh, I just kept asking questions and there were things that she, she said one sentence, just that hit personally to, to mm -hmm. identifying something that was bothering me. And, you know, immediately in that moment that you feel your eyes well up, you're like, oh, that was yeah. what, you know, that's what for, you know, 15 years or 10 years or 20 years or my entire life has been this, this source of pain that I never identified, but it's, it's yeah. like a, it's like a, I love scary, like I love horror movies. That's one of my other therapy <laughs> outlets, but, yes. it, but it's, it's this funny thing about horror movies is that the scariest that a monster is in a horror movie or a, a killer in a movie is when you see them in a shadow or you see, yes. you know, you, you get a hint or, or the music kicks in, but usually, especially with older movies, once you see the monster in pure daylight, it's not scary anymore. You yeah. know, it's, it's this thing of it's, it doesn't bother me. And there's so much like that just in my own life where things that I felt so scared to even talk about or felt like I don't want to go down that, you know, we mm. all have that. I don't even go down that way. I don't want to start. We all have about this. It. Yes. And, and the truth is like, you know, th there've been things, there was something that was huge for me and it was to the end of 2018. Like yeah. I, I, I told my wife, I, I was like crying. I told her, and then yeah. now it's like, I can talk about it. It's fine. It's done, yeah. you know? And, and you I thought for years, it. like, I can never talk about this. I can never say yeah. what I feel about this. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's so important to be able to identify it. And I think what you do is incredible in helping people do that, especially people who don't like, who don't want to even think like who are so blocked off to even going down yeah. that, that road. So, yeah, I really, oh, and I love that you speak to that because it's true. That is exactly it. It's those things that we don't even get, know how to speak to, or we just see it. Maybe we're triggered by something or, you, you know, that we have a hint and the, that is actually the, the scariest to us, but that's actually, like you said, once you put it in the light, oh, it's so liberating. And, and then you, you're right. You start to be able to talk about it and you start to be a guide to others who are ready to peek underneath that bed, that monster. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I, I think what you do is absolutely incredible. And I've, re I've really appreciated this conversation. I didn't, I honestly didn't know like what to expect going into it. And I knew, you know, I, I felt like I didn't know this world at all, but, but you know, just hearing you explain it, I'm like, man, it's kind of what I feel like I've been doing, doing this that. for, but, um, but no, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. And just before we, before we close, I know you just wrote a book. It came out this month, uh, called life in full colors. Can you just give a quick kind of uh, descriptor or kind of preview of what people can expect from that book and where people can find it? Definitely. Oh, and I, I am I'm so excited to share this book because it is filled with stories and with creative processes. Seven trends. It's based on this. I noticed whether I was working in the slums in Bangkok with kids or with CEOs in beautiful glass buildings in Dubai, there was just seven transformative tools that would leverage whatever heaviness was a heaviness, but there was a little hiccup or one of those big monsters under the bed. And we could leverage that as our ultimate art material. So the book is called Life in Full Colors. And oh, my husband surprised me with a copy. <laughs> and uh, it looks like this. And it's, uh, it's the subtitle is Unlock Your Childlike Curiosity to Uncover and Activate the Creative Intelligence You Are. And so in this book is it shows you and it invites you to apply your own colors into it and it guides you as though I'm right beside you. But it's not just my stories. It's so many people who have walked through and, and uncovered their creative intelligence and people, like you said, who couldn't draw a stick man and thought, this is, what is this, you know? So that's an important thing to know that you are a creator and you are, we are in a creative, our creation we all love nature we get sparked by it because that is what we are but there's so much that more to us that we can use in life and I teach you the beta model in here with crayons but as you get comfortable with these processes you can start to process stuff in real time energetically with your imagination and move heavy things 
out so that you don't get derailed, you don't lose time and you don't lose your joy. And that's important now with lockdowns and isolation when we can feel really like whew, heavy down with all the collective fear with stuff that's going on in our world, it can really bring us down. So if we don't know how, sometimes it's not even our stuff. <laughs> so if we don't know how to process the stuff even around us, and this is just simple power tools that you can learn to do this. So it's available on Amazon in Kindle or paperback version. And it's all net proceeds I'm donating to the Vancouver Island um, Counseling Center for Immigrants and Immigrants and Refugees, thinking of the trauma that they go through in, with leaving like war-torn places and then often re-traumatized when they come in and have anti-immigrant sentiment or what have you, and poverty and coming from immigrant um, grandparents, I just, my heart just goes off. So know that you'll be lifting yourself, but you'll be lifting others too with your purchase. So Amazing. Well, Corey, thank you so much for, for coming on. And uh, yeah, I, I really encourage everyone just go check out the book Life in Full Colors. Um, if you appreciate the conversation, which uh, I don't know how you wouldn't uh, with this conversation we just had, but uh, really, really appreciate you coming on and uh, wishing you the best uh, wherever life takes you next. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. And keep podcasting and creating and even teach your child to, she's got to film like you. <laughs> Absolutely. So okay. awesome. Take care. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.